Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 24th, 2017. This is Peter Serretta. We are recording this on Saturday live in San Diego at Comic-Con. And we just got out of Hall H, the big day of panels. We got to see a lot of stuff. And we're going to be talking about it here. We're going to be talking about The Gifted, Preacher, Punisher, The Defenders, Ready Player One, Blade Runner, Aquaman, Justice League, Stranger Things, Westworld, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Infinity War. It's a lot of stuff. So sit back, relax, and we'll tell you all about it. With me today is the managing editor of SlashFilm.com, Jacob Hall, our weekend editor, Bradford Oman, who you know as Ethan Anderson on the site, and Jack Giroux. Let's get into it. So Jacob, this is your first year in San Diego at Comic-Con, but you've been to comic conventions in the past, I assume. Oh, much smaller ones, like Austin Comic-Con and you know, like local conventions where it's just mostly guys with big boxes full of comics, nothing as big as this. So while I've been following Comic-Con for years and even cover it, covering it from afar, this was my first time actually being on site. So what, what was it like? What is your first impression of Comic-Con? Oh, uh... I've quickly developed a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> when when Comic Con is good, Comic Con is really good. But when Comic Con is crappy, Comic Con is really crappy. Like waiting six hours in line with a guaranteed admission wristband, only to be shut out for two hours because Hall H's management is so bad. But then you go on the show floor and you find something magical and get your favorite comic artist to sign something, and you tear up because you're so happy. So I don't know how I feel, Peter. Uh, I think it's a really big overwhelming thing that encompasses so much that i can't give you like a simple i like it or i don't like it well this comic-con has been kind of underwhelming the the rest of the week has been kind of underwhelming and this is today we're recording this on saturday and that's the big day in hall h that's where marvel wb uh stranger things westworld you know just non-stop i know you didn't get in there for warner brothers but what was it like your first Hall H, like big Hall H day. Um, a big Hall H day was very uncomfortable. My, my butt hurt, and I was unhappy, <laughs> and I had too much sun, and I was grumpy. But once the panels got going, um, they were mostly pretty good. I mean, we'll talk details in a second, but 
the, the people who come to put it on a show really put on a show, and you can tell which studios and which networks care about putting on, about making sure people talk, and which ones are just kind of there by obligation. Oh, for sure. Um, it, it is some of the best spectacle that I have experienced anywhere in the world, and that's why I keep on coming to Comic-Con. Uh, the lines are getting insane. Like, one of our friends, uh, Johnny Chang, waited in line since 9 a.m., the morning before and did not get a wristband to get in not that a wristband guarantees you admission it's supposed to guarantee you admission but like you, you said you didn't get in even with the wristband uh anyways let's let's forego that let's move let's jump right into it yesterday you were at a panel for preacher I what, was. Can you, what can you tell us about what you saw uh briefly for preacher well if you haven't been following preacher this season it's uh, they're approaching the halfway point of the new season and this season's an interesting one because it, it begins where the comic does. It kind of wipes the slate clean in the first season, which I enjoyed, but was but was slow moving, hit and miss, and it's very much embraced the wild, fast paced nature of the comic, where it's a road trip story, mile a minute, gleefully offensive, always blasphemous, uh, and just outrageous in every way. And it was it was a fun panel. I mean, uh, the, the, the the stars are all charismatic. Seth Rogen, who's a Co-creator and executive Bruce on it was the highlight of the panel. He's a very funny guy. But the most fun thing we saw was a clip from an upcoming episode where we see the uh, early days of uh, Air, Air Star, who is the main human villain from the Peacher comics, who is this German commando who works for a secret organization called the Grail. And it kind of personified what makes Preacher appealing. It's dark and twisted and really funny, and played with this note of mischief where it's, it's aware that it's being offensive and aware that it's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, but doing it with just enough of a wink so the people who do find it funny are really allowed to ride in on the joke. Another thing we saw yesterday, I, w- I was in the panel with you for The Defenders, and they surprised us with a trailer for The Punisher, uh, the standalone series uh punisher appeared in daredevil season two and now he has his own series uh can you tell us about the uh the footage we saw i'm not sure if trailers were what i would use it felt like maybe an opening scene from like a pilot that they would sort of have streamlined into a montage of sorts but i i, I like john bernthal's punisher um he scowls and he shoots and he murders people really well and this was pretty much that it was <laughs> It was John Bernthal um, playing guitar in anguished isolation while flashing back to playing guitar with his with his kid who's now dead. There was a series of scenes where he hunts down and kills a bunch of people in various oh, ways. Oh, my favorite part was in Mexico where he shot a guy with a sniper rifle from like a town away or something. Or no, he shot him from, was he in Texas and shot someone in Mexico? Yeah, it was actually a, the best gag in, in the footage was that the subtitle introduces Mexico uh, our, our city in Mexico, and we see this drug dealer type going up to his high-rise apartment, and when we see him through the scope of a sniper rifle, bullet goes off. There's a very long delay. It doesn't make sense at first until the guy's head explodes. And the camera pulls back and back and back and back, and we finally find Frank Castle with a sniper rifle, and the subtitle says Texas. It's actually <laughs> a, a really good grim joke that reminded me of the best Punisher stories, which I think often have a sense of humor to the violence. Um, after that, uh, Jeff Loeb surprised the uh, the Hall H audience with the whole first episode of The Defenders. You weren't there for that, but I, I, I got to see it. Um, 
it is basically what you expect. Uh, you know, if you've seen Daredevil, if you've seen Iron Fist, if you've seen Luke Cage, you've seen Jessica Jones. It's a it's a first episode Marvel Netflix show. the The gang doesn't get together in the first episode, so if you're looking for that to happen, it's probably not going to happen until the third or fourth episode. You know, the Avengers don't get together until late in, in, in the Avengers, and I'm sure that's going to be the same thing here. Uh, the interesting thing is uh, the unique looks of each of the Marvel productions are brought into this. So it's almost like traffic, uh, the movie traffic in a way where, you know, Daredevil has like red lights in his background and Iron Fist has like yellow lights in his background. So it's like, you can kind of very easily differentiate the different storylines that are going on in this ensemble. And, um, Sigourney Weaver is the antagonist in this. We learn that she is dying and she has a plan, and the episode ends with the beginning of that plan coming to fruition that kind of impacts all the heroes. Uh, and I'm going to be very vague about that. Uh, but it seems interesting. It is very slow moving because it, it's doing a couple different things. It's establishing characters. It is, you know, setting up an antagonist and uh, showing you where these characters have been since the last time you saw them. So it, it, it's, it has, has a lot to do. Uh, it's it's interesting that they showed it because it's not like exciting. There's not like a huge action scene that's amazing. Um, like, and it wouldn't be a Marvel show if it actually moved fast and got to the point quickly. <laughs> you said it. I did not. <laughs> While we were in the Defenders panel, Brad, you were over in the other hall, Ballroom Twenty, I believe. Yeah. And you were there for the Gifted, which is another Marvel production, but it's uh, the other side of things. The Gifted. It is, yeah. The Gifted is uh, what has been called the new X-Men series that's coming to Fox Network this fall in October. Uh, the pilot's directed by Brian Singer, who also executive produces the show with X-Men franchise producer Lauren Schuler uh, Donner and Simon Kinberg. And they showed some extended clips of the show itself before they released a new trailer, which you guys can see on SlashFilm.com along with uh, my take on the footage that was shown by the and way i'd like to apologize about the sound in the background we were recording this in the gas lamp quarter of san diego and there's nothing we can do about it there's a lot of street performers yeah. and a lot of like a bunch of people yeah. outside just cheering so you're just gonna have to deal with it yes yeah, okay go on so yeah this is the show actually um looks surprisingly good first of all i like to say it looks infinitely better than what marvel studios and abc is doing with inhumans and since that's not hard not at all and since uh inhumans are basically the poor man's x-men for marvel studios at this point you know fox really had to do something great to get uh the attention of audiences and i think that this show could be really good it it has the feel of the original x-men movie but it's a little bit grittier and more grounded without as much camp in it the the 2000 movie is is still pretty good but has some cheesy moments and some kind of silly dialogue and things like that especially you know you know that line with storm and toad and some of the dumb stuff uh but this is a very grounded series it almost feels like i guess i would say kind of like 24 meets x-men in a way but that doesn't feel like it captures necessarily exactly the the tone but it's uh yeah it looks impressive and there there are mutants you'll recognize there's thunderbird polaris eclipse and blink are all in it but it doesn't take place in an established X-Men movie timeline or even a comic book timeline. It's They're doing their own thing, as uh, writer Matt Nix explained. But they will have characters that you'll recognize from time to time. 
Well, you're making it sound more interesting than I thought it was going to be. So I'm looking forward to it. This morning, we were in Hall H together uh, for the Warner Brothers panel, and we saw some of the first Aquaman footage shown to the public. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. Um, yeah, so Jason Momoa, first of all, came into Hall H like a rock star. He came running down the He the ran aisle, in with the... Uh, had, his, had his trident, or I guess uh, maybe we'll say Quindent, since it has five prongs. Um, so yeah, he came charging through Hall H down the middle of the crowd, went to the front of the line. Jimi Hendrix was blaring over the speakers. He played his trident like it was a guitar, and he was just having the time of his life. Uh, and then that, James Wan wasn't there, but he sent a message from uh, down from Australia where the set for Aquaman is. And be- uh, before they showed the real footage, they showed basically a sizzle reel of a bunch of animated concept art and illustrations that showed tons of stuff that went by way too fast for us to catch everything. But it showed... Uh, Atlantis, it showed Aquaman, um, it showed Ocean Master and his army, it showed Aquaman fighting with Black Manta, it showed, yeah, Arthur Curry's lighthouse home, bunch of stuff uh, that unfortunately probably won't make it online because that was an exclusive Comic-Con thing, followed by the real footage that was shown, which was a quick scene where you see a couple fishermen and they're hanging out in the ocean and then all of a sudden one of their lines gets a big bite. And it turns out that big bite... Not just the bite, like, their boat gets dragged. Right. It's a, it's a, it's like, like a, as if a whale were dragging them. But then you realize that it's not a whale. It's a giant stingray. And that giant stingray just happens to be a big ship. And there are a bunch of other ships behind it. To the point where when you see the underwater shot of all the ships, it looks like the rebel fleet from Star Wars arriving yeah, the, underwater. The, the, the camera kind of pulls up above them showing like pointing completely down and it reminds me of that opening shot from star wars of the gigantic star destroyer you know yeah this is this is star wars underwater yeah and so we originally thought that this was an introduction to the atlantean army uh it turns out as jason momoa told us during the panel that army actually belongs to ocean master and we get to see some of his army riding around on sharks in among the ships as well, which is a pretty cool image. And that was something he wasn't supposed to reveal, but someone asked him, and he is uh, impulsive. He, he is. Says, yeah. Um, another thing we saw during that panel, Brad, is the trailer for Justice League. Yeah. Which went online. So you can, go, you can you... go to SlashFilm.com, you can look at it there. But what... Tell us what you thought of the Justice League trailer. Uh, I thought it was a solid trailer. Uh, it's an interesting introduction to Steppenwolf as a, a villain. He clearly has a lot of power behind him. Uh, he seems kind of like uh, a villain that's maybe not quite as powerful as Thanos in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but certainly one who brings with him a lot of firepower that the Justice League have to obviously join forces to take on. Um there was some really exciting stuff here. Uh, Barry Allen, uh, Ezra Miller as the Flash, is clearly Justice League Spider-Man. Yeah, he's the comic relief. Yeah. He's very funny. The, the scene that they end with, with uh, Batman and everybody leaving and just leaving him there. It, with it's one, of those, it's one of those scenes where, like, when you see in the superhero movies where a character is talking to the superhero in question and he turns around for a second and turns back around and they're gone... Commissioner Gordon does this, and when he turns back around, the only one that's standing there is the Flash. And you, uh, you know, Barry, you, we see the trailer, so you, yeah. you get it. And, and it's I was just, on set for that; it was hilarious in person. It's funny in the the trailer. I, I was impressed by the trailer. I think you know, the more we see of Justice League, I feel like it could turn out to be the movie that brings all these heroes together that fans want to see, and it maybe won't have the missteps that some of the previous DC movies have had, or at least that people have. Some people have not been a fond as fond of. 
Um, let's jump around for a second here because I, while I have you, Stranger Things. There was a panel for Stranger Things. There was. Uh, and they showed a new trailer. I mean, they talked to the whole cast and crew. They weren't really willing to reveal many details about the upcoming season. But they did release a new trailer. I know you're a huge Ghostbusters fan. There's a lot of Ghostbusters in this trailer. And it's set to Michael Jackson's thriller, which is just incredible. And it's so fitting. It's a uh, a new take on that song it's uh not not yeah it's like it's a remixed version yeah. of it where it makes it sound a little bit creepier and darker and not like as much of a, a you know pop dance tune as it is from from the music video and it uses vincent price's voiceover perfectly oh yeah to, like to it's add so just, just the right amount of spice to it and, and you, you guys can watch that on slashfilm.com right now what did you think of it i love i love the first season of stranger things and this I, I didn't even imagine the trailer being this good. I was so excited while I was watching it, and when they played it a second time, I was just enthralled with it. It made me want to watch all of the episodes immediately, and I can't wait until October. I'm very excited about the Ghostbuster stuff in there. As you said, you know, I'm a huge fan, and there's you know a cool moment where they've they've apparently trapped something in the makeshift trap that they've made for their costume. So they, yeah. there's something inside there. There's other quick homages you can see to other 80s movies, just like from the first season. Do you like, think it's like one of those slug things from the end of the... It could be. Yeah, that, that could be it. But yeah, you see you see the little nods to Risky Business and the Goonies and uh, the Warriors. And then obviously some of the much more obvious sci-fi uh, classics yeah. that we'll see referenced. You, you know, I, uh, I've i already seen the Infinity War footage that we'll talk about a little bit later. Aside from that... I think Stranger Things might have been the best thing I saw at, at Comic Con and Hall H today. Me, me, that between that and Ready Player One. Yeah, I was just gonna say that I'm not sure that Stranger Things topped Ready Player One for me because, as you'll talk about here in a second with uh, Jack Drew, the Ready Player One trailer for me was something that like I wanted to like stand up and scream because of how excited I was when I saw some of the stuff that happened. Why were you so excited about it? I mean, it combines so many pop culture things that I love into, you know, these beautiful images. You see things like the Iron Giant and the DeLorean Time Machine and Freddy Krueger and just all this stuff all together in this, this mashup and hodgepodge of pop culture that somehow it doesn't feel like it's it's a mess. It just it looks so cool. Yeah. No, that that car chase sequence looks incredible. Uh, Jack, I have you here with us right now. You wrote this up for SlashHome.com. What do you think of Ready Player One? Uh, I thought it looked very cool. Uh, I enjoyed the book quite a bit. I think it's definitely on the fluffy side, and the criticisms it gets for being kind of just nostalgia, I understand. And I hope the movie's more than that. Um, based on the trailer, it's hard to say, but I also just feel like Steven Spielberg wouldn't make a movie that's just pure nostalgia. Um, it's interesting that in the books, the nostalgia is a lot around his movies. And now he's bringing, instead of, I mean, I'm sure there is some amount of his movies in there, but because there's uh, Back to the Future, which he produced, but mm-hmm. we got to see Iron Giant, which is more of a yeah. more modern movie. Like a lot of the nostalgia in, in the book, from what I understand, I haven't read it, is from the 80s. And it seems like, you know, Iron Giant, uh, Akira, I mean, it's some stuff that like is out of, that realm and, and maybe appealing to it's also convenient that that's stuff that warner brothers owns <laughs> <laughs> yes for sure uh but w- why did you like this trailer so much uh because i like seeing steven spielberg back in that mode he hasn't made a big action movie than i i think since maybe tintin oh yeah 
And all I can think about is like obviously the long take in that film. And I mean, I just love his action in general, just how clean it is and how many moving pieces he can do. But I mean, that final shot of a DeLorean going down the street with all that chaos going on, like I can, that's just a snippet of like yeah. what is probably a big set piece. So just seeing Steven Spielberg make a movie like that, a big action movie, I am really looking forward to. It's interesting because like, you know, he produced Roger Rabbit, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and this mm. seems like the Who Framed Roger Rabbit of movies. Mm. You know I, mean? For, I mean, for live action movies, because it's like a mashup of all the stuff we grew up with and loved, and you have a great storyteller behind it. So um, I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's the thing. I'll say I don't think Ready Player One is a great story, but with St- as you said, Steven Spielberg, great storyteller, so I, I think he can elevate it. Um, another thing we saw in the Warner Brothers panel, Jack, you wrote it up for Slash on the comments. We saw a clip from Blade Runner. And you actually talked to the director, too. Yeah, we did which a... Which will run this week sometime. Yeah, we did a roundtable interview with him that, that went really well. But we didn't see much. Obviously, they're not going to show a lot from that movie. They're playing things pretty close to the vest. Well, it's actually... Before you get into this, it was actually very weird. Because usually, studios come to Comic-Con, they show a fo- footage... They show a clip or a trailer that is a lot of spectacle and a lot of action. And this trailer was just like a conversation between right. two people. It was very... It was strange. very Blade Runner. It was two people talking in a room very slowly, which yeah. I love. And I thought it definitely had the pace of Blade Runner. And um, what he's watching is the video um, of a t- the, that Deckard performed the Turing test on Rachel. And he observes that, uh, oh, she must like him. And there's just little details like that. Um, Ryan Gosling's character really does not say much in the clip, but you had a good sense of who he was in the movie's atmosphere. Like I thought it looked beautiful, just those interiors and just very simple shots. Um, yeah, it looked like a Deacon's, like Deacon shot in Blade Runner. And you told me when you were doing the roundtable interview that the the director basically said that he wanted to capture the the same speed of a film. You know, he didn't want to. Uh modernize the the feel of the film yeah i don't think he's turning blade runner into some like fast-paced action movie he said he really loved the pace of blade runner and so do i like i know some people find it kind of slow but something's happening in like every frame of that movie and i wouldn't be surprised that's just the same case here but he said he wanted to preserve that pace and it's also a mystery um and yeah uh let's jump into marvel they surprised us right away with some news from Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's actually interesting because you've been on this marathon of Michelle Pfeiffer movies. And you were talking, you're going to do an article for Slash Home, I think, on Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, just about how fantastic she is. <laughs> yes, and uh, and they announced that Michelle Pfeiffer is going to be playing Janet Van Dyne? Yes. Yes. And uh, they showed some concept, concept art. What, what can you tell us about? Before we get into the specific Ant-Man and the Wasp thing, I think we should acknowledge... How incredible the video presentation was! Yeah. How they announced Michelle Pfeiffer as the um, Janet Van Dyne. Yes. Because it started off with Paul Rudd and Michael Pena sitting at a table talking to the camera, basically recapping what happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to date, starting with Iron Man and going through Spider-Man: but that's Homecoming. That's just recapping. They're talking like it's very funny, extremely funny, like hilarious. It was like funnier than some studio comedies yeah. in their entirety. Uh, At one point, they, uh, Paul Rudd is talking about Nick Fury, and he, he holds up a picture of David, David Hasselhoff, Hasselhoff as, as Nick Fury. Fury. Yeah. And he keeps referring back to this photo that he has of Robert Downey Jr. in Chaplin. <laughs> 
Uh, there, yeah, there's so many great moments, and I hope that they release it at some point the same way that they did the Thor Ragnarok yeah. short with Thor and his roommate Daryl. It wasn't as good as that, but it was good. It was yeah, it was very funny, and that you find out at the end that the entire recap of the MCU is them telling Michelle Pfeiffer what has happened so far, and they're like, "So do you want to do this movie?" <laughs> Yeah, no, that that was a great reveal. Uh, they also showed some concept art on the, the screen. What, what did we see in this concept art? Uh, some of the big standouts, I would say, are you got to see Giant Man, like, peering around a, a building <laughs> on a busy street during broad daylight. That was really fun. It was really short. They really didn't show much. But you also saw that they're going back to the quantum realm. And I know Peyton Reed said after they made the first movie, he really wanted to go back there, show more, uh, have more of Hank Pym's relationship with it. So I think they're going to go there, maybe. Um, and then I think at one point it showed a vehicle for Ant-Man and the Wasp, too, like a mini vehicle. So after Ant-Man, they they revealed some news about Captain Marvel, that Samuel Jackson will be in it, which is something we reported last week, I think, or the week before. Uh, but that Nick Fury will have both eyes because this is actually a prequel set in 1990. Or 1990s. Sometime in the 90s. Yeah. Before... I thought he said early 90s. Am I incorrect about that? I'm not sure if he's, not sure. they specified when, but yeah, it's definitely in the 90s yeah. and before Iron Man. This is interesting because I think a lot of people thought that they were going to introduce Captain Marvel in the Infinity War movie. Maybe actually that was how she got her powers or something, but obviously that's not the case. Um, they also revealed some concept art that showed that the Skrulls are going to be in this movie. Uh, Jacob is our resident comic book geek. He knows a lot about this. He knows a lot about Captain Marvel. What can you tell us? Oh, the, sc- the Skrulls are... God, how do I even begin with Cosmic Marvel stuff? The simplest version of Skrulls is they're a green-skinned, shape-shifting alien race. They tend to take the form of their enemies, and they do a lot of espionage, always hiding on Earth. There's a lot of Marvel stories of people realizing, oh, oh my God, so-and-so was a Skrull, and they've been undermining us this entire time. So they're, they're kind of a sneaking enemy, and they've been at war with the Kree for generations. And you may remember the Kree are the alien race we met in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so there's already this connection between Captain Marvel and the furthest features of the galaxy. And it's also worth noting that in her original origin story, Carol Danvers becomes Captain Marvel through an accident that fuses her DNA with Kree DNA. So, in addition to the Skrulls, it wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more of the Kree and more of the Kree-Skrull conflict leaking into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, the concept art we saw of Captain Marvel looked like Captain Marvel. I mean, it looked like... Uh, she was fighting Skrulls. Yeah. Got her cool suit you, you can go to SlashFilm.com and look at all the concept art. We we took snaps of it and we put it online. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe costumes tend to uh, update or like t- take a costume that works on the, on the page and make it more realistic. Oh, realistic in quotation marks, of course. Whereas uh, this looks like the spitting image of the costume Captain Marvel wears in the comics right now. I was actually pretty impressed by how it looks. It might be a little... The, the colors might be a little bit more muted than the comics, but yeah, it, it's basically the comics. Uh, they went right into two movies, Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther. Let's talk Thor Ragnarok first. Uh, what, what did they show us, Brad? Uh, so they jumped right in with some footage uh, showing Thor going through this strange cosmic tunnel that was like this trippy laser light show version of what the tunnel sequence was in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And funnily enough, they actually used uh, this orchestral ver- um, like version of the electronic orchestral version of Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka. So it's an homage to that scene for sure. 
And which, at, which is the second time in Hall H that day that we heard a Willy Wonka song. That's the first, true. First time in Ready Player One. Right. And so he's going through this tunnel, and there's a voiceover that's like the kind of voiceover you would hear in a yoga class, but it gets really creepy and like says these sort of things like, you you are home now, and there's no leaving. It's like, welcome <laughs> to Sakaar. And it, the voice explains what Sakaar is and who the Grandmaster is. And Thor starts getting freaked out as the tunnel gets crazier and weirder and all this strange imagery starts flowing past him faster and faster and he screams at the top of his lungs and then all of a sudden he realizes he's just in the middle of a room with the Grandmaster and some of his gladiator guards, Valkyrie, and the Grandmaster's assistant named Topaz, who is played by Rachel House, who you might remember as the uh, Child Protective Services officer from Hunt for the Wilder People. And the entire sequence that plays out after that is hilarious and yeah. i i i'm, I'm the tone of it's so weird though it's it's unlike any other marvel movie especially with jeff goldblum he brings his own yeah. energy to it and it but it's it's purely a taika ytt sequence like he doesn't he's not rushing through it to like give exposition or anything he lets the grandmaster interact with all these characters and has this like funny quirky banter and i wonder if that will be like the final cut of the scene in the movie or if they just let it play out a little bit extra here just for fun hmm. uh, i hope that this comedy though stays in the movie because it adds something special to it it's a different kind of comedy than we've seen in the thor franchise before because the comedy in the thor movies has tended to be a little bit more goofy rather than clever and this feels like it has more of a intentionally quirky element to it that makes it funnier than we- we've seen before and i, I really like what taika is bringing to the table when it comes to that yeah, I was going to say, I know Taika said Big Trouble in Little China was a reference point, and the one thing I liked about this trailer is you could definitely see that, and just, to me, it was maybe the best trailer I saw today, maybe because it was the funniest, but even just small things like Jeff Goldblum tapping his foot or nodding his head during that whole scene, just little things were hilarious to me. Actually, we should also mention they showed another scene that was uh, Thor uh meeting Korg for the first time Korg p- being play voiced or actually performance captured by Taika Waititi it's this big rock creature who we thought we saw in Thor Dark World because there was a big rock creature but it seems to be yeah. it might be Korg's brother or something like yeah, that yeah something so and it's a and scene, Korg's like this very understated nice like yeah Taika Waititi described like the inspiration for the character as i guess there's these Polynesian bouncers that he's seen who are very soft spoken uh, and that's the exact voice that he uses. Actually, if you've seen Hunt for the Wilder People, the way that the girl who rescues Ricky Baker from the forest, the way her dad talks when he meets him is pretty much the exact voice that Cork has. And he kind of like walks Thor around and explains to him, it's like, oh, you know, there's uh, so many people who can't beat the uh, champion gladiator, who we know is, is Hulk. And he points out some of the people who are in there who are dead. And the room itself is kind of, it's an interesting thing because Thor tries to leave and he walks out of frame and then he walks back around from the back of the yeah. room again. So it's this weird it, it's almost like loop. the It's almost like the video game or like Pac-Man where you go off one side and right, come in exactly. the other. Uh, but it's another hilarious scene where yeah. the comedy is a huge part of it. And it's just, it, yeah, it, I can't like stress enough how much of an interesting comedic angle Taika has brought to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, let's talk the trailer. They can go see the trailer on SlashFilm.com, so we don't have to describe it. But everything I see from Thor Ragnarok looks weirder and crazier and funnier than yeah. I'm expecting it to be. What, what did uh, Jacob, what did you think of the trailer? I think that it, it's what happens when you make two mediocre Thor movies, recognize <laughs> it, see Guardians of the Galaxy's box office, and say, screw it, let's do that. <laughs> and, and uh, oh, 
Yeah, I was going to say, it felt like the first two Thor movies really played it safe, and this does not look like it's playing it safe. I mean, it's still a superhero movie at the end of the day, but it just looks so different. Yeah, uh, Yeah, like like a comedy. The the designs look so colorful and fun and based on... Very inspired by Jack Kirby's artwork. What did you think of the trailer? I I love this trailer. It, It only furthers my confidence that this movie is going to be something that Thor fans aren't expecting, that Marvel fans in general are going to be surprised by how much they love it. It's just there's so much cool stuff going on here. Like we're we're going to see a much bigger role for Hulk, who Mark Ruffalo revealed during the panel has been uh, stuck in basically his Hulk form for two years. He refuses to transform back into Banner, so we get a Hulk who now is talking. He has a very basic vocabulary, as you see at the end of the trailer, which yeah. makes for even more interesting chemistry between him and Thor. I think there's going to be so much cool stuff to see in this movie. Yes, uh, but let's move on to Black Panther. That was the other film that they brought the whole cast and crew on stage. Um, Jacob, you wrote the article for SlashFilm.com, and the footage is not online. It It was exclusive for Comic-Con. So what did they show us? If you saw the first trailer, it's very much in line with that. I think that Ryan Coogler and his team are walking this very fine line where they're making a movie that's clearly part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and you can see it sliding in there, but looks and looks unlike anything we've seen there before. It's wearing its African origins on its sleeve. And I wrote about this when I wrote about the first trailer. I did a trailer breakdown, which we get on Slashfilm.com, and one of the problems with so many uh, stories like that, similar to Black Panther, is that they say oh, this African nation or this um, nation from a third world area um, suddenly has technology and science and money and power, so they start to look and act like they're Americans or like they're Europeans. Whereas Black Panther in the comics and in the movie, from the look of it, says, no, Wakanda is proudly African. It is proudly going to wear this heritage on its sleeve and in the style of the movie. So you have these characters who look and act so unlike all the white bread people we've seen before, the movie seems proud of its, its its heritage, and that's in all the footage we saw here too. Where it's not just cool actions; it's action being defined by the wardrobe and the weapons and the energy and the fact that these characters are not coming from the standard Marvel template. I mean, if people want to chime in, in a second, the opening scene we saw was this big uh, casino action sequence that's teased in the trailer. Where, um, long story short, an arms deal goes wrong, and uh, T'Challa, um, Tyler Bozeman, uh, Black Panther, and two of his allies have to kick a lot of butts and uh, confront Claw, played by uh, Andy Serkis. You remember from Avengers Age of Ultron, where he lost an arm, and has now been replaced by a weaponized arm that fires lasers. Yes, and we finally see that the, the sizzle rail that followed... Uh, showed us Black Panther actually getting into a costume. The costume forms around him, almost like an Iron Man kind of esque technology suit. Almost like nanobots, like surrounding yeah. him. Yeah, I'm not even. Yeah, I'm not even sure if, if it's if it's the suit that forms around him, or if like, if the suit that he was wearing on top of it, which was like a formal suit, kind of just goes away. Or I mean, it's it's yeah, it's, it was, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it looks real cool though, guys. And what what else did we see that was exciting in that? Like there was so much action. It was there was this car chase that looked insane and fun. Uh, I kind of like how Andy Circus has been fleshed out as a character in this one. He's got some eccentricities and he's a little bit uh, kind of deranged in a way. Um, like there's a, during a sequence, there's a chase where they're driving through uh, a city. And I think it's the shot, sequence they shot in Shanghai. 
and there's a, you hear a, I don't know what song it is because I'm terrible when it comes to recognizing hip hop tracks, but there's there's a, a track that plays over the trailer, and you realize that it's diegetic music because Claw is in the car and he's like he's like turn that up and like <laughs> while they're doing it, and so like he's got these like weird eccentricities about him, not to mention he has his prosthetic arm which turns into some kind of electronic blaster that yeah. is insanely powerful. It looks very exciting. Uh, the fans were really into it. I, I, actually, I think it got more of a applause than Thor, which seemed crazy to me because this Thor stuff was so awesome. We, we, we got to mention the, the big reveal, and um, I'm going to go ahead and say spoiler for the next 30 seconds if you're really, really averse to them. So, spoiler, we see that Eric Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan, gets his own Black Panther suit, sort of lined with gold. Looks a lot, looks very intimidating and ornate. And the final shot of the footage we saw was him and Black Panther tumbling into a vibranium mine, like trading blows as they fell. It looked very cool and very wild. Kind of like Gandalf and the Balrog in the <laughs> beginning of the Two Towers. Oh, for sure. Uh, let's move on. They then showed, uh, they, they were then, like, it was the end of the panel. They're giving out posters to all the people in attendance. It's over. But then uh, some of the bigger Avengers come on stage and they force Kevin Feige to show the Infinity War footage they showed at D23 Expo. Last week, uh, I wrote about that on SlashFilm.com last week, but you guys are seeing it for the first time. So, who wants to talk about this, or who wants to describe what you saw? Uh, it was very cool. That's it. That's it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I was floored by this footage. Um, my my jaw was literally hanging open just because it was it's so cool to finally see these characters together. Like you know, it's coming, but nothing prepares you for just how cool it is to see Thor. Interacting with the Guardians of the yeah, Galaxy. Well, that's the thing. You're like, oh, I've seen them interact together before. But then when you see Thor on the Ga- Guardians ship, right. interacting with them, it's like, well, I haven't seen that. Yeah, and that's not the, and that's <laughs> that, that's far from the only interaction you get to see. Like, there's a huge action sequence that plays out where you see you know, Jacob. You, you tell them what you oh. were most excited about. This scratch and itch I did not know need to be scratched. It's an action scene of Star Lord rushing toward a bunch of wreckage. While Doctor Strange conjures magical platforms so he can jump over the wreckage like, like it's a platforming video game. And it's a collision of this space outlaw from across the galaxy and Earth's Sorcerer Supreme teaming up to fight Thanos. Is this, it's, it's, it's what I've always loved about the, the first Avengers and what doesn't work about Batman vs. Superman is watching these people with such different backgrounds and powers come together and interact in ways that are surprising and satisfying and even though this is very early footage there's not a lot of it seeing that made me so happy it's very civil war like the uh that airport fight scene like the the avengers mashing up their powers for a greater cause jack what what did you like most uh in in this trailer uh well i like the fact mentioning the action scene and the character moments i mean there's just so many good ones but the one thing that really stood out to me is that the Rooster Brothers seem, I don't want to say stepping up their game, but I feel like the Marvel movies have gotten more cinematic over the last few years, and watching this trailer, it's just so full of color, like the the Thor Ragnarok trailer, Black Panther trailer, where it just felt uh, different, like very different, and just... Uh, yeah, this yeah. one looks darker, uh, I think, and like more dramatic, even though there is humor, uh, it does seem... This does seem like a uh, dire situation with Thanos. Uh, at the end of the trailer, he basically takes a planet and breaks it into pieces and throws it at the Avengers. 
And the Guardians. Yeah, just like... And they, the Guardians. Yeah, uh, everybody. Basically just summon huge chunks of a nearby, like, a moon or planet, and start and they start flying down through the atmosphere towards them. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like some Marvel trailers are typically darker than the movies tend to be, yeah. but seeing Thanos in action finally was great, and just how big of a presence he is. Like, the character's huge, and looks like... Of course, the biggest threat they're facing, but it felt that way watching the trailer. Yeah. For all your nerds out there, it should be noted that Thanos, during this big action scene, where you also see him grabbing Thor's head and crushing it into the point where Thor is screaming in a very gnarly little moment, he's wearing the Infinity Gauntlet, but there are only two Infinity Stones in it, so he's obviously has pow- enough power to smash an orbital body to bring it down as a weapon, but not enough to conquer the universe yet. Yeah, so what happens when he gets all five of the stones? Oh, in the classic uh, Infinity Gauntlet storyline, he essentially becomes God, and and Thanos' um, big modus operandi in the uh, comics is, I want to please death. I'm in love with, in- with the Marvel Universe's yeah. incarnation of death, and I'm going to use my power to murder everybody. So we'll see what he does when he gets all of them. And, yeah, and I just wonder how they're going to visualize that on the screen. And I feel like in comics it's so much easier to visualize god powers. <laughs> when you have god powers on in a movie, it, it's harder to do. Yeah, and one other thing I was just curious about. Like, I thought Civil War, as much as I like it, had a very long setup. And I am curious for this Avengers with all those different characters and all the different um, settings we saw in the footage, like how long it's going to take to actually get them all together. I think think shit's going to go down right away. I think that's what's going to happen. One thing I'm curious about is that they say this very clearly. They say it to pronounce the point where I think they want us to notice. A Kate Blanchett in Thor Ragnarok trailer says very clearly, I'm the goddess of death. So I really do think she's stepping in for death in Avengers Infinity War. Oh, I, I think that's been the popular fan theory all along. We get to see Peter Parker... Spidey sense. Uh, we get to see him in his new Spider-Man suit that's shown later in that movie. Uh, do you have anything else to point out? No, that's really. I mean, the yeah, the footage just speaks for itself. And like, uh, I don't know if this will be the teaser trailer they release once they finally choose to do so. But if it is, it's gonna blow everybody away. I mean, the crowd in Hall H just went insane for this. It doesn't matter that this was shown, you know, a week ago at D twenty three. It was like. They just went crazy. They ate it up. Uh, oh, one thing I was going to say, the trailer feels like that one last beat at the end of a trailer, a really cool moment at the end of the trailer. That's what the whole trailer feels like. Every scene in that, that's what it feels like. Yeah, good call. Okay, so th- this is the end of our Comic-Con coverage. You can read everything on SlashFilm.com. But before we go, what was your favorite moment of this Comic-Con, Brad? Um, this is more of a personal one for me, I think. Um Getting to interview Ivan Reitman, who created Ghostbusters, which is one of my most beloved and cherished movies of all time, uh, was kind of like a career high for me. Like, it was kind of a surreal thing, and it all just happened so quickly, and when I was done, I kind of just had like a moment to myself where I was like, oh my god, I just I just interviewed <laughs> Ivan Reitman. <laughs> what about footage? If you had to pick one thing out of everything you saw, um, I mean, it has to be Inhumans, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just love that that big goofy orange wig. I think it. No, um, the easy answer is the Marvel panel. But honestly, I think that I was no. So, what out of the Marvel? One piece of footage. Well, no, I was going to switch because okay. I think what I was most surprised and taken aback by because I haven't read the book or anything was the footage for Ready Player One. Uh, it was extremely cool, and I'm beyond excited to see what that movie is like. Jacob. 
What oh. are you? What were you most excited about? I'm gonna cheat like Brad did. My actual favorite moment was going to car- Cartoon Books's um, um, stall on the show floor and getting some art signed by Jeff Smith because Bone is my favorite comic of all time, and that just made me happier than anything in a long time. But since we're this is a movie show, sorry, uh, Marvel won. Like they put on the best show. <laughs> uh, they, they, they. What did they win with? Is it uh, Infinity War? I think I think it's Infinity War. I think that they knew what they were ending with, and they went out with a bang. And after sitting through a lot of panels this weekend, I felt like obligations for everybody there. Marvel said, "There's a reason why fans love us, and we're going to keep on earning that reason." Jack, what was your favorite moment of Comic Con 2017? My favorite moment of Comic Con 2017 was the Blade Runner 2049 experience. Hey, which you talked about last week on the podcast, so yeah. if you haven't heard about that, you can listen, but give us a brief of why Why was that the coolest thing? Well, the VR experience was great, and I haven't had great experiences with VR before, but I mean, just having a spinner right in front of me with rain coming down and smoke around, and just feeling like for a quick second, like you're in the world of Blade Runner, and then after that, just to see Rick Deckard's gun, all those props and costumes, I'm so pumped for that movie, but just, yeah, that was a really cool moment. Yeah, and I, I, I think I, I would agree with brad ready player one i that was probably the thing that surprised me the most if not stranger things i didn't know i was gonna love that trailer as much as i do uh and i know those are the two nostalgic choices if i wasn't at d23 and i hadn't seen that infinity war i might have been on with jacob on this with infinity war but i had already seen that and I would say the best footage I saw was for Thor Ragnarok because it just looked like a big superhero movie from the director of What We Do in the Shadows and Hunt for Wilder People. Well, that does it for our Comic-Con coverage. I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, please, as always, if you like this podcast, go to iTunes, review it, rate it. Uh, it helps us a lot. And we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>